hey, hey, conscious leaders, are you shining and vibing with me today? Because I am bringing you a spectacular, fierce woman to talk to us about the budget speech and what we need to read in between the lines of this incredible journey of understanding what is happening in the financial environment. So without further ado, I would like to introduce you to Kanye Sapika. Okay. So, Kanisa, she wears multiple hats with expertise and passion. She serves as the Deputy Vice Chairperson of the Women's Forum and holds a pivotal role in banking as a VP of Credit Risk, specializing in macroeconomic analysis and risk advisory. Beyond her personal pursuits, we find joy in her florist channeling because she's also a florist. And by the way, we are actually going to do a flower crown workshop with her in the Botanical Gardens in a week from now. So super excited about that. Additionally, she also contributes her insights as a member of the Conscious Leaders Advisory Board. Warm welcome, Kanisa. Yay, <laughs> thank you so much, Carmen. Oh, that is a fantastic introduction. Meanwhile, you're such an amazing person. Oh, my sister, I love your energy. (laughs) I'm here for the shining and vibing. Listen, I'm telling you. (laughs) um, For the audience, so the other day, Kanisa calls me out of the blue. And uh, she's asking, how are you? And it just came out of nowhere. I said, shining and vibing. I've never seen it before. And we laughed for about 10 minutes. <laughs> so I said to her, I think I'm going to start using this in the podcast. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I don't know. <laughs> oh, okay, we're getting into some serious business now. Um, I brought you, you know, to come and talk to us, to be more conscious about the budget speech, to understand, you know, how to read in between the lines. You recently, or yesterday, you went to go and present your ideas on a panel um, with the British Chamber of Commerce to talk about, you know, everything that was revealed in the budget speech and what it means for South Africa. But I thought, let me hijack you, bring you here on our platform and come and do the same. Although it's not a panel, we can still have a discussion about it. So... Just for a little bit of context, tell me about your journey and how did you land up in economics? It's quite a a very big, uh, broad academic field to take on. That's true. So, in fact, I didn't do any economics in, in school, but I was very much inquisitive. So I did science, maths, and the only thing to commerce that I was linked to was accounting. But I have a sister who was at the time, already journeying to become a a chartered accountant. So I thought, "Mm, we don't need two CAs in the family, but I didn't know what I wanted to do. So as always being curious (laughs) and wanting to know how things work, I got to varsity. My first lecture was in economics and I was just mind blown about the aha moment I got. Like, is that how things work? Like, okay, that's what I'll go into. And I then re-registered to do economics and I think it found me. It wanted me to be part of it because economics really is a life or behavioral science, right? So in everything that we do, in fact, is economics. We are participants, whether we are buying or producing in the in the economy, we are participating. And you can tell your representation by what you consume, um, what you produce, who you hang around with 
you are part of an ecosystem of economics. I love that. You see, this is what I love about you. You explain things to me that it's, oh, it's a story. I actually get it. <laughs> Although I did do economics, I, I found it very boring. <laughs> and now you take this subject and you make it super interesting. Okay, so I want to get into, into the real meat. So why is the budget such a sought-after event? You know, it's like you can f almost feel like the engines go on and everybody's getting ready. You know, there's no load shedding for the evening. <laughs> Why is it such an important part of the political landscape, but also the economic landscape? So the national budget is important for, I'll say, two reasons, right? This is an opportunity for South Africans to understand where our finances are, like we do in a household, right? So if you have income uh, or the ability to generate income, you possibly, hopefully, if you're <laughs> managing your finances correctly, have a budget. And that helps you understand how much you're bringing in and how much you're actually spending and how much you are able to save and, and invest. Um, so for South Africans, that means the National Treasury, uh, who's the custodian of our finances, will then set out um, to share with the country and even our investors um, what our position is. Why that is, impo is important is that it gives um, an indication of where we are as a society and also opportunities for outside investors to have a feel of where South Africa is. Can they invest here and maybe even help us um, manage our needs? So with every other budget, as you know, um, you, if you are spending more than you get in income, it means you have to either borrow from a bank or somewhere else. Government also has that. How they get their income largely through tax revenues, right? So the South African um, Revenue Service does the majority of the work for that. Um, and who pays these tax revenues? People who are employed in the economy, businesses in the economy, and, and other factors. So um, it's important that we get to know where we are in terms of our finances. Um, importantly, where our debt, debt is. South Africa services about 60% of its debt through um, our uh, revenues that we generate. So I think it becomes important to see how we can reduce that because if we have more money going into servicing our debt, it means that government will not be able to invest in the things that we need. And I think we'll talk about that. Uh, South Africa needs to grow. Uh, and I think I'll emphasize that maybe in our next um, dis discussion. But um, we need to know how much of our money goes into debt because if that is too high, it means that our society is in, in a deficit. We can't get the social services that we need the kind of service delivery that we deserve, um, and, and it becomes very problematic for the progress of growth uh, and, and in particular human progress. Very interesting because, you know, if we, and, and I, I guess this lends us, or I guess this leads us beautifully into the conversation. This leads us beautiful into the conversation. Sorry, I just got distracted there. This leads us into a very interesting um, topic, which is all about the investment, right? So I think we hear how much investment we are getting from all these countries. And, you know, we don't really understand what that investment means to us. Like, what is the trickle-down effect? 
um, for us as citizens when we hear there's so much investment because the debt, as you say, is increasing. Um, and as the debt is increasing and, you know, less people are getting the services that they require, but there's also a lot of systemic issues that in the, in, in, on the side note that we aren't able to address and to, to resolve, which is almost like a, like a circular effect, you know, it just is like in and out and in and out of the problem the whole time. <laughs> Absolutely. So perhaps let me start like this. Um, the budget this time highlighted, I think, what we've been seeing, but I don't think we've been um, taking in quite seriously. The, the budget showed us that South Africa has a chronic growth problem. In the past um, 12 years or so, mm -hmm. the economy hasn't been able to grow be above 3%. Uh, and I make this analogy to say when I started uh, when I entered the job market in 2011, that was the last time the economy grew by 3.2%. Ever since, we've been on a downward trend um, and ha have averaged about 1%, right, in, in those uh, 12 years. That means that um, we haven't been able to, or, or rather, it means that South Africans have become poorer. In fact, we need something like 5 to 7% um of annual growth to be able to see uh, a dent in our per capita incomes. So how much people actually um, get to, to, to earn in a, in a productivity of an economy. So I think knowing that we have a growth problem means that even when we do want to attract investments, what is we need to understand what is driving our significant low growth, right? Yes, we have infrastructure problems. We know about um, ESCOM being the largest one that has deteriorated activity because of um, the interruptions in power cuts. Uh, we've now seen that our water infrastructure is also in trouble. We're starting to be watershed, and, and that can be very serious, um, particularly because South Africa is a water-scarce country. So you, if you don't have the right infrastructure to support the little that you have, it'll be difficult to even you know, think about innovation um, when you don't even invest mm -hmm. much in, in those spaces. Um, another thing is this transnet, uh, and we, we, I think we, we bore the brunt of this when we had a commodity boom recently, um, during COVID. And what we saw was that the mining sector was able to produce so much of, um, their minerals, but because they didn't have channels to transport <laughs> their goods, uh, because now a lot had moved away from rail, our failing rail system couldn't take that. So now they moved to uh, using roads that have added more expenses to their operations. So in, in fact, they decided to, um, uh, rather go with lower output. So we saw the revenue increase in that, but we could have actually done much more and that would have helped our fiscus um, quite a lot. Uh, and so all these deficiencies, I think, uh, limit our ability to grow our economy faster. Um, but then we have to think about the future of you know, um, AI and what that could mean for our economy. And in this budget in particular, what saddened me was that there was a reduction in the um, research and development spending from government side. I think something like 37% 
from the period of 2018-2019. And when you think about how um, some of our peer countries like China or even as, uh, the, our Asian counterparts, um, what you realize is that they have large budgets for their research and development. And, you know, China didn't start off as a car manufacturer, for example, uh, but in building up their R&D, investing about $400 billion per annum uh, in that sector in particular. They are now the leading um, producer of electronic vehicles, something that they did not do 10 years ago. So you, you realize that we may have these great ideas, and we have few examples of brilliant minds in South Africa. Um, and I suppose topical um, that comes top of mind is Elon Musk, Right. His um, businesses are, you know, maybe even three times larger than South Africa's GDP in the types of profits that they generate or how much they're worth. Um, and you think about that, that, that was one person's idea. If we were investing in nurturing brilliant minds in this economy and were able to translate that into effective industries, how much more we could add to our GDP. Um, in fact, we are exporting that freely um, to other countries that have the budgets to, to invest in that. And I think that was the sad part to, to notice. Um, although I must add that um, government will, in fact, the R&D program was supposed to expire this year in December, uh, but government has extended that 150% uh, tax reduction incentive for, for entities that actually invest in, in, in R&D um, by another 10 years. So sectors like manufacturing, sectors like telecommunications, uh, particularly for the digital digital migration um, are the ones that really benefit a lot from, from this tax um, reduction, I mean deduction. What is your take on the budget speech, um, especially the one before our elections? What did you feel was necessary to happen, didn't happen? And also, perhaps, um, apart from research and development, what other areas concern you? Okay, so I think... This budget is a little bit tricky because, like you're saying, it's an election year and there was a lot of, of um, I suppose, campaigning, you would say, by the ruling party, saying all the right things to keep investors at bay. Um, and you saw that with, because in fact, when we came into this uh, budget, my initial feeling was there is no way we're going to avoid a fiscal slippage. Our societal needs have increased and government will need to, you know, either emphasize the extension of that uh, distress grant um, which they, you know, did, and they they probably also need to <laughs> think about what they're going to do with Eskom and Transnet because that has become more evident. Um, but I think they said the things that we, um, many investors would have liked to hear, and what was the game changer for this budget was the use of the gold um, uh, and foreign exchange reserve uh, contingency account. 
um, which helped them, in fact, reduce some of their spending or at least a uh, requirement for spending for their debt repayment, uh, which then allowed them or afforded them a maneuver in, in, in spending for societal needs uh, and also saying that for mm. Transnet, Transnet would need to showcase that they are deserving of the guarantees that government can give for their operational uh, purposes. Uh, in fact, it was also good news to hear that in the first quarter. Uh, you'll remember that last year, um, ESCOM was provided something like a hundred, over $100 billion, uh for some of their debt, which was going to be paid out in, in, in different phases as well. Uh, but ESCOM had to showcase that they are handling their, their, their operations correctly to be able to qualify for, for, for some of those guarantees. So in the first quarter, um, ESCOM, in fact, uh, came through and then their, their equity was then translated. Um, I don't think it was emphasized enough how badly we require these structural reforms to to actually translate. Because even in the growth projections, um, Treasury still expects uh, our economy to grow by an average 1.6%. Now, if we are required to grow by five, at, at least 5% per annum, it means that in the next three to five years, we are going to grow by 1.6%. It's not enough. So that tells you that unemployment will continue to be high. Um, the inequity will still be very high. So our societal needs will still need to be met. So in a grow, in a, in a low growth environment, uh, you have jobless growth, but also it means that your tax base will be shrinking. And so mm. it means that in fact, Treasury is trying to be creative every year of how they can maneuver their um, their mis their imbalances because there's no long-term plan of how are we fixing this expenditure completely so that we, we you know you make the tough mm -hmm. decisions now so that the future is a little bit more easier. An example of this is every year they tell us of how they're going to fix ESCOM. And I think what the minister shared with us this week was that they feel like it was money wasted. The $500 billion that have, they have given to state-owned entities in the last um, years, last few years, almost a decade, um, they feel now it, it looks like it's a waste because those SOEs have not improved and they've not added or played their part as taxpayers in this economy. In fact, they've been draining the tax, the, the tax um, revenues um, for their support. So in that sense, you think about if these entities were efficient, what would we have done with that 500 billion? That's half a trillion rands that we could have invested, say, like I, I suggested earlier, in research and development and move into innovation, creating new industries that would help us generate more jobs um, that were in line with the times that we're moving in um, and, 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 you know, support the technology that still needs so much um, funding, that still needs so much representation, so many skill sets as well um, that, 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 that these new sectors would bring for our economy. Very interesting point. I think I would like to, to pose a, a question to you with regards to thinking about the whole idea. We can't talk about the budget without talking about corruption. 
and the impact that that's also having on our economy. One of the things that was mentioned in the budget speech is the optimization of financial um, acquisitions and the ICT infrastructure that they say if they're buying laptops and they're buying all of these computers, they want to get better prices because if they buy in high volumes, they're not getting competitive pricing and value and all of that. But you can't help to think in the back of your mind um, that value, okay, but what about the other things that are happening that nobody's talking about? But I suppose it has an impact on the investors. That's why it's never been addressed. Yeah, so it, it is quite a, a touchy point, but I'll say this. I'll give it to the government that in this budget, they increased um, the um, allocation for the Department of Justice. So, you you know, if you'll remember that last year we were placed mm-hmm. on the gray list um, by the FATF, and what that meant was that we were under more scrutiny, yes. right? So... Um, what they shared with us this time was that we are going to get um, um, a report that tells us about the latest progress, um, but we have about five deficiencies that we still need to work on. And many of these are on the anti-money laundering um, and also the bribery and corruption um, side of, of, of the FATF findings. Um, and I think this budget, I think they give about $600 million more uh, to the Department of Justice, and that talks to prosecution. So I think we should start to see uh, an improvement in these uh, syndicates that have, you know, mm. uh, particularly for the state capture report, uh, that we will start seeing, uh, I think, in, in coming months or even over the next year. And that should improve um, or maybe get us closer to what Treasury is suggesting, that, you know, by October this year, we should have um, finalized all those deficiencies and met some of the conditions and perhaps in 2025 actually exit that uh, gray list. And that will sh- that should then uh, bring ease to uh, foreign investors who, who would then perhaps even now increase some of those investments or bring back some of the the, the, the ideas that they had to, to help us advance in some of the projects that our economy was, um, you know, trying to expand in while we rebuild our economic activity. So, yeah, I mean, the issue of corruption is important. And I think that the budget increasing the, the allocation for the Department of Justice shows that the, there is a level of seriousness that they're mm. taking. Um, but is it to what the public would like to see? Perhaps not at the, at the depth of it, but um, we'd like to acknowledge progress where, where, where it is. On the FATF, I believe I saw that they're having an announcement towards the end of February. Um, what do you anticipate um, to be announced about South Africa and our status of being grade uh, listed? So I think because um, okay, so uh, the what they will be sharing is the progress from. Um, all the deficiencies, as, as I mentioned earlier. But the whole point is to tell us how far we've come with the outstanding of those five mm-hmm. um, deficiencies um, that are really related to um, anti-money laundering efforts and also anti-bribery um, efforts. Uh, I think we will see that we have met 
in terms of legislation, some of those. But in terms of the number of prosecutions, I'm not sure if the, the, the FATF is looking at a specific number, but they just want to see uh, that what is in place um, is capable enough to stop mm. these syndicates or this type of crimes occurring on a regular basis. Um, unfortunately, you know, the FATF for me, I look at it as having to go under a forced um, health regime where you are forced to go to gym now because your health needs it. Um, it's a good thing in the sense that it'll get you into shape um, and you'll be accountable for your progress. But it's a bad thing for depending on the kind of programs you're trying to achieve for your country because now you're delaying investment into your country. You're adding costs for your businesses, particularly, say, for the financial sector now. Um, those additions are then – those additional costs are then translated to your to the customers, and it means that the cost of doing business in this country becomes even more higher. Uh, and then in the competitive environment globally, we're going through some sort of challenge and tension you want to make it easier for businesses to thrive. Um, and when you have these types of scrutinies, um, and unfortunately, you delay yourself uh, as a country. You know, I'm just thinking about the complexity around everything that needs to be catered for. So, for example, when you mentioned earlier about, you know, not having the right infrastructure, having a massive growth problem, what is your, your take on, you know, people being over-reliant on the system, but also what is the impact on, on companies as well because of that trickle-down effect because if, if we have such a high unemployment rate, if people are not expanding their reliance on, on government to pay for, you know, for them to survive, what is the impact going to be on the entire economy if this continues? It's a really serious problem um, and it's a political issue, right? Uh, I suppose when, you know, the government in this budget, again, raised the, you know, the social grants um, and you you can tell that it's really about campaigning for them. Yes, these grants are necessary for the vulnerable society, um, but with a tax base that's shrinking or not growing fast enough, then you are putting strain on the small number of taxpayers um, who then anchor um, the economic activity. Also, what you're doing is, you know, you're limiting the ability of citizens to invest in themselves for their own future. So imagine you have um, all these um, young unemployed youth who then don't get the chance to invest in their own pension meaning you're going to have another pipeline of 10 million or more young people in future who don't who who haven't saved for their retirement that will re rely on government again um later when they're in their old age so this this is a a serious problem because you these people are at an active age to actually work. It's not their fault that they find themselves in a country where mm. the economy cannot generate jobs. Um, but I like what we spoke about the other day where you said more people, um, some people are actually using some of these grants to start their own businesses. Um, and I think it's the 
opportunity to then, how do they move from starting a business to then scaling it? Uh, where would that funding be? Is that accessible? Um, and we saw during COVID that even though government had these injections to support businesses, there was still some exclusivity in the financial system where um, small businesses did not have the balance sheets to Collat- uh, for collateral um, and could not even access some of those funds um, to stay afloat. So you think about the our inclusion uh, programs and, and uh, particularly on funding and how are these new informal businesses translated. I think it takes longer in South Africa to to convert an informal business into a formal business. And why we need it to be formalized, because then at least it can generate more jobs. You can see more people uh, earning. And there's all these incentives that government provides, right, about um, if you in, if you employ a certain number of graduates, you get a specific um, uh, incentive. Um, but the skills are also a mismatch. So we do have quite a lot of problems, um, but I don't think it's not easy to fix. It's something that we just need to commit to as also participating citizens to to be Mm. able to help our economy grow. So yes, a lot of it weighs on the shoulders of government to fix, particularly the legislative side, um, but the private sector also needs to step in. Citizens as well need to also, you know, participate in the change that we, we want to see. Yeah. You know, I I heard a phenomenal quote quote the other day that said, if you're not changing, you're choosing. Wow. And, you know, we all have to adapt to our environment um, and try and be, take care of ourselves. um, More importantly, if we can at least take care of ourselves and not in a selfish way, but then we are able to help others as well. Um, you know, I think there's always this, this, this idea of go through the door, go and sort yourself up and then come back through the door and come fetch those that, that needs help. Um, once you've managed to, to make things better for yourself. Um, you know, just leaning into, into that conversation. Um, I just want to have a better understanding also, what is the wins for women and female entrepreneurs in this budget? You know, and also the gender gap. You know, what is your view on everything that's been allocated in the budget? This is such a interesting question. I get to, to be asked this twice this week. <laughs> I met a lady who also, <laughs> you know, wanted to ask if our, actually asked whether our um, budget is redistributive, right? And when we talk about redistribution, I think what in, in, in trying to answer that question, we know that gender-based violence is an issue. We know that women are underrepresented. We know that women, um, you know, have this, this huge pay gap uh, in it. And there are some strategies to be used. And in this particular uh, budget, although the redistribution wasn't at a large scale, you did see some prioritization uh, in support for some of the women causes. Um, one of them is in the, particularly the technology and innovation part. Um, 
a government has allocated some funds there to help with the digitization because most of these informal businesses uh, and women-owned uh, businesses require that they can do digital payments um, and, and safety around uh, that um, technology. And I saw that that allocation was mainly addressed to women and youth uh, in particular. Um, I think it's important that, you know, when we think about is government doing enough uh, around gender parity issues in our country, uh, and we say we haven't, I don't like to look at the glass as half empty. So progress in ad- addressing some of mm-hmm. these issues has been made, but perhaps not at the pace that we would celebrate, right? Um, last year, towards the end of the year, uh, the Department of Labor had issued some guidelines of what sectors needed to look like to advance the transformation in those sectors. And th- that debate is still there. I think that um, um, input um, was taken from the public as well so that government can come up with a finalized um, um, amendment bill for that so that we can see this transformation occur. Um, you know, issues that surround women like gender-based violence um, go beyond just the financial side, right, of supporting their causes and supporting their initiatives. I think it's also a behavior matter to say as a society, the respect for the female, the respect for the, you know, the, the gender, the human being next to you, um, and, and knowing that you have no right to violate anyone. Um, and then I think it talks to the kind mm-hmm. of, um, I, I almost said messed up, society that we are but we are a broken nation we have (laughs) you know we have quite a traumatic history but also in the healing process from our trauma we haven't really dealt with it in a healthy way so our healing path hasn't necessarily been overall healing Um, some of our issues relate to avoidance and we Mm. see it in the disparities in our economies in our, in our communities and in the workspaces um, and how we're trying to resolve issues exclusively when we should be an inclusive society. So we can speak about a rainbow nation, but um, there are few South Africans who really are investing in, you know, being the change that they want to see. And I think sometimes we do make a lot more noise about the the, the, the negative side of things, but there is progress. It's really minimal sometimes, but when it does happen, I think we should also highlight that, that we are moving in the right direction. And as much as the pain took so long to happen, I think the joy will also deserves the chance to, you know, to translate. Yeah. I love what you're saying because I'm really, um, you know, moving into a space where I want to be a hope dealer. I don't want to be dealing with um, apathy that steals hope, the apathy stealer. Um, um, you know, for me, it's it's so important that, you know, when, when we go out, and this is why, you know, you know this, um, why I started Conscious Leaders is, is also – not to to separate women from men, but to to bring women together so that we can, you know, we like to talk a lot. 
<laughs> and we like to have a lot of conversations and spread our ideas and uh, we have opinions on everything and we gather facts from nowhere to somewhere and we we are storytellers and I just wanted to bring us together in a space where we can be all of that and also embrace our feminine side but also become conscious of systemic issues and see what our role is to play now that we are actually we are surpassing and out educating men we are we are not we can't blame men for everything in our lives we have to start looking at you know how can we change because the, the baton has been handed over what are we doing with with that power um, and how are we doing something that's better for all um, now that we have that baton absolutely and you know, you've touched on a point that's very important to me, and this is perhaps one of the reasons why I serve as um, a leader at the APSIP Women in Focus. And our focus there really was to advance a black woman um, in the financial services um, sector. And what we, you know, have done over the past three years is help skill them in, in areas of leadership so that they could actually prepare themselves for the next level. We like to see ourselves as the game changers of, you know, finance is something that drives the economy. So every sector depends on a financial base somehow. And if we have empowered, skilled uh, women in those spaces, we strongly believe that as an organization that these women will be able to make the decisions that also um, empower women in, in the different areas around the sector um, without having to exclude men in this conversation, which is very important, right? Um, you, you, you kind of say mm. the kind of problems we have, and if you want to have inclusivity, sometimes it will be the man that is required to make the decision to say, hang on, I'm going to employ women in my team hang on, I want to collaborate, or hang on, I want to hear what women would say about this. And and that's why you cannot exclude them, because they are, or the, perhaps the, 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 the mm. corporate environment was designed by them, for them. Uh, and so when you try to come across as an attack to their position, as opposed to a partner or a, collab a collaborator in the change-making of this process, then you will alienate them uh, and make them feel threatened. And sometimes we may not see the progress that we want to see. So I, I do think it's an important conversation to say, we need men for this transformation. We cannot do it alone. Yes, we are going to be the mm. major beneficiaries of the decisions that are made henceforth, but um, we're not saying don't hire men at all. We're saying if your team needs a certain requirement or certain number, consider that you add more females into this space so that we can also get the experience um, of, of working in these environments. We can make decisions that make women thrive in these organizations because one thing that we've also observed is that, you know, um, and South Africa is also moving in the right direction. Women CEOs were very few. And if they did make that um, level, they wouldn't last long in those positions. Why? Because of the kind of environment uh, and the expectations that would be um, uh, wanted from them. So 
we find that, you know, if there is enough support for women in those roles, if then they're able to make decisions that say, hang on, I'm a mom, I'm a CEO, or hang on, I'm a community leader, mm-hmm. I'm a CEO, and I don't have to act like a man to succeed in my role. I don't have to be a man in my role, and I can tap into my greatness as a female in this role to make the right decisions that will make this organization thrive. And I think the most important thing is that all of us want the same thing. We want growth. We want progress. So even in the roles that we take up in society, I want to work for an organization that will be, that will show sustainable growth because that means we are evolving. We are growing. We are progressing. And we're also able to give back to communities that are deserving or under underserved as well. I totally love it. You know, um, that movie Cabrina that's, that's launching soon. There's a part in the movie where she says, either you serve your weakness or you serve your purpose. And I think that is such a powerful statement to almost conclude this is that if we look at everything happening around us, we have to be conscious. We need to understand what happens in our budget and what is happening in the economy. Um, we also need to understand what's happening in our communities, what's happening in the boardroom. And not one of us can handle this thing all by ourselves. We have to be in unification. And it's important to identify what every person's purpose is in their, in their life and what they feel called to do. And then also, um, I saw in the Harvard Business Review an interesting comment that they said that the moment you bring diversity and inclusion to the board and there's diverse experiences, it's not just, we need to start looking at diversity, not just about where you were raised or, you know, the color of your skin or your gender or anything like that, but also on the lived experiences that you've had. Because when you bring all of that into a collective wisdom, that is when the ESG positioning starts improving by miles ahead of companies that don't have diverse boards. I just look at my my husband. He was the one. I mean, I was so shy. I didn't want to be seen in the world. I was just like doing my own thing. And he was the one that encouraged, yeah, yeah. He was the one that encouraged me to say, come on, you can do this. I was like, I could never do that. And he said to me, you can do this. And I, I, I mean, he has been coaching me my entire life. And it's been an honor to walk side by side um, with him. And he's believed in support towards my journey and opening doors for me, even in what he, you know, in in his journey. And that's just my husband. There's so many men that I, I'm so privileged to know. Wow. And one of them is John Foster Pedley. I mean, he gave me a scholarship to get my degree, which is very, yeah, you're going to meet him. You're going to meet him. (laughs) That's so fantastic. That is so fantastic. Oh my goodness. You're so right. No, absolutely. Yeah. It's, so they do the exist. men do play their biggest role. And in my career as well, it was men who made decisions to help me advance in what I wanted to do. And sometimes they believed more in me and what I could do than I could even see it for myself at the time. Uh, and so we have to acknowledge them. We have to thank them. They've played their part. And I think also the narrative that women are not really supportive is also shifting there are some women who are doing great work to advance women. And I do, you know, want to forgive those that we used to think they don't care for other women. 
to say they were also navigating challenging spaces and perhaps without even any support at the time. Mm -hmm. And we have to acknowledge that they, they sometimes opened or, or broke barriers for us to be able to enter in those spaces. And now we have support to, to do things differently. So we acknowledge both men and women for helping in the transformation of, of, of women representation in economic activity, which is so important. <laughs> Mm. I absolutely love it. And you know what? We all as human beings evolve. And the version I'm meeting of you today is going to be a different version of what I'm going to meet tomorrow. And as long as we always just know that we as human beings are evolving, it's sometimes not easy to, to wire in our brains, but it is true. <laughs> it is true. It is true. Anyway, you will, we know that we can talk for hours. We'll do that next, next week. So... Um, <laughs> Like it's insane. <laughs> like I tried to find a few things for, for this interview. I had to go up my WhatsApp like millions of miles. I think I, I drove with my thumb. I drove like 200 kilometers. It was so crazy. Oh my gosh. But anyway, I just, <laughs> I just want to say thank you so much for doing this and, and sharing your wisdom. I learned a lot and also giving a lot of perspective because um, it can become very overwhelming and almost like you don't read in between the lines and you don't synthesize how all of these allocations actually what they mean and how they will come to fruition and flourish our economy. So thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me and really inviting me to share some of these insights. I, I do think you are doing very great in helping women, well, society understand, right, what the budget is about, what the economy is about. And I've seen the kind of work that you do on your podcast is really uh, knowledge sharing. And, and you're right, people are beyond just wanting knowledge. They want the wisdom. They want to understand how, what it means for them because people are now working more in purpose uh, than being pushed in, in just life by design. So mm. I think you're doing so great. Thank you for your service. Thank you for the work that you do. In fact, may <laughs> you, you know, may the universe just triple tenfold what you have given back because this is amazing work. Well done, Carmen. Right, everyone. So if you just go down um, to the link below, you will see um, the information how you can reach out to Kanisa. But also if you want to ask her some questions, if there's uh, maybe something that we discussed that you want to delve in a little bit more in depth with her, or you want to invite her to be a speaker or anything like that, you know where to find her. Down there she is. And sending you lots of love, love and light. Keep shining and vibing. You've been listening to another production from Solid Gold Podcasts.